Collective Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Okay, buckaroos, it's Texas history time again. Trying this month in Texas history once more. Don't matter how I do it, just gotta get to it. Heading down the roads of many Julys before. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael, and yes, that was my poor homage to the late, great Jerry Jeff Walker. And in this episode, we will take a look at some important July events that have been a part of Texas history over the centuries. Now, I like to try to keep every episode evergreen, a new episode for a new listener anytime, but I'm going to date a little bit this time. So future listeners, disregard this because it has nothing to do with you. But for all the people that have been listening and have been faithful uh, to each release and supporting the show, I want to apologize for taking so long to get this out. I started the podcast in August of last year, knowing that the summer months were the hardest time for me work-wise. Uh, had a lot of six and seven day weeks, 10 to 12 hours a day working, which doesn't really lend it much time to writing and recording episodes for the podcast. But I'm not giving up, going to stick through it. I just learned a valuable lesson that next July, I better have some stuff ready to go ahead of time. So... Thanks again for your faithful attendance to listening to the show and sharing it. And let's get into some Julys from days gone by. Now, one of the key things that could motivate the new Spain leaders to do anything in Texas was the perceived threat of foreign trespass and attempts to undermine new Spain's authority in the area. When a French trader named Saint-Denis, arrived at the Presidio of San Juan Bautista in Guerrero, Coahuila in 1715. He was arrested and sent to Mexico City by the Presidio's commander, a gentleman named Captain Diego Ramon. Saint-Denis must have been a marvelous negotiator because instead of being thrown into prison or worse or just deported, he was appointed to serve as a commissary officer and a guide for an expedition placed in the command of Domingo Ramon, Captain Diego Ramon's son. Their mission? To reassert the Spanish presence in East Texas. The party consisted of 75 people, 12 priests, missionaries from the Franciscan Colleges of Santa Cruz de Cuaritari, and Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe de Zacatecas. There were three Frenchmen, including St. Denis, several civilians, And then there were seven soldiers who were married, and they brought their families along. Once everybody was ready, and they had all their equipment, supplies, and livestock ready to go, the expedition set out on April the 27th, 1716. They reached East Texas by June, and on July the 3rd, they established Mission Nuestra Padre San Francisco de los Tejas. They also founded Mission Nuestra Señora de la Purisma Concepción on July 7th. It moved to San Antonio in 1731. And on July 9th, they founded Mission Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe de los Nacodoches. 
and they also established another mission on this journey called Mission San Jose de los Nosones, but it did not last. Now, the Mission Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe de los Nacogdoches mission was in a village of the Nacogdoches Indians, a branch of the Caddo's that had been living in East Texas, as we've learned, since at least 800. Father Antonio Marhil de Jesus was in charge of the mission. It was temporarily abandoned in 1719, but it was restored to function in 1721, and it lasted until its abandonment in 1773, and its deserted buildings formed the nucleus for the settlement of Nacogdoches in 1779. Nacogdoches became a very important location in the history of Texas, being a place many people would pass through on the road to Texas in the 1820s and 1830s on the road from Nacogdoches, Louisiana. Today, the little settlement has grown into a city of over 30,000 people, and it's proud home to Stephen F. Austin State University. And it's also a site of a Pilgrim's Pride processing plant that provides lots of employment. Moving forward, we jump ahead to 1817. July the 31st marks the final day of Louis-Michel Aure's rule over Galveston Island. Aure had been born in Paris, France about 1788. And from a young age, from about the age of 14 or 15, he began serving in the French Navy and afterwards on French privateers until he was the ripe old age of 22 in 1810 and he became the master of his own vessel. Now, a privateer is an armed ship owned and officered by private individuals holding a government commission and authorized for use in war, especially in the capture of enemy merchant shipping. Basically, it's a pass to serve on a privateer is to be a government-endorsed pirate. Now, Ari took his pirate experience in his ships to prowl the Caribbean in search of ships bearing treasure and goods that could be sold. And in New Orleans, in 1816, he joined with some associates engaged in rebellion against Spain on behalf of Mexican independence. And he was proclaimed the resident commissioner of the newly proclaimed Mexican port of Galveston by rebel envoy Jose Manuel de Herrera. After setting up a base at Galveston, Ari and his privateers gained prizes in the Gulf and of the many prizes that found their way to Galveston, one carried a cargo valued of at least about $778,000. The ship's cargoes would be sent through New Orleans Customs in unlabeled bales, or they were smuggled into Louisiana. Michel Ari's reign was short-lived and not without problems. We won't get into all the troubles he had, but... While escorting and convoying rebel forces to the Santander River, the nefarious Lafitte brothers, Pierre and Jean, who we're going to hear a lot about in the future, they made their move into Gallison, where they gained sway over the few inhabitants that were already living there under Ari's reign. When he returned, he found the competition, so he weighed his options. No doubt he considered the difficulties he already faced during his brief term as commissioner of Gallison, and on July 31st, 1817, he resigned his commission and sailed off to other adventures while the Lafitte's turned Galveston into their base of operations for several years, interacting with many people, including the Bowie brothers, Rezin and Jim. There are reports that Ari died 
on August 30th, 1821, from his headquarters of Old Providence Island that he had captured in 1818. But there are even suggestions that he could have lived on, perhaps still living in Havana in 1845. Now, the hard-fought Mexican rebellion that Ari was loosely involved with supporting eventually did come to an end. And one of the leading participants in the victory gaining Mexican independence was a curious gentleman named Augustine Cosme Damien de Iturbide y Aramburu. Iturbide, born in Mexico in 1783, later entered the Royalist Spanish Army in his teens, and he gained distinction in his service, eventually rising in rank and gaining distinction for grasping victory against numerical odds that he shouldn't have been able to overcome. And he came to be known as El Dragón de Hierro, or the Iron Dragon. During the Mexican War for Independence, he initially remained loyal to Spain, rejecting an offer even from Miguel Hidalgo de Castilla to command the revolutionary forces in 1810. He fought against the rebels until he was accused of charges of extortion and violence in 1816 and removed from his position of power. He reemerged in 1820 on the side of the revolutionary movement in 1820 and issued the plan of Iguala for a Mexican empire on February 24th, 1821. He marched his army into Mexico City on September 1821, and on May 19th, 1822, he was proclaimed Augustine I., Constitutional Emperor of Mexico. July 21st, 1822 was the date of Iturbide's coronation as emperor and that of his wife Anna as empress. And it was an elaborate ceremony at the Mexico City Cathedral. His reign over Mexico, which you should remember included Texas, that is after all why we're learning this, was brief and led to the revolt involving Texas's favorite villain, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, who Stephen F. Austin once called a friend of Texas, and the resulting political differences and problems that led to the Texas Rebellion of 1836. It was during this turbulent time that exciting things began to happen for the future settlement of Texas. On January 17, 1821, near the end of his tenure as commandant, Joaquin de Redondo, the harsh, blood-soaked leader of the Battle of Medina, and quashing the rebellion about nine years previously in Texas, approved the petition of Moses Austin to bring settlers to Texas. Moses died, but his son Stephen carried on. Iturbide wanted a general immigration law to regulate immigration and rejected the Spanish grants. Austin traveled to Mexico City and sought approval for his father's grant before a junta instituyente, and the law of January 3rd, 1823, that Iturbide did sign. The imperial law offered heads of families a league and a labor of land, 4,605 acres, among other inducements. It also provided for the employment of agents to promote immigration. These agents, you're probably aware of, were called impresarios. As an impresario, Austin would receive thousands of acres of land for each family that he brought to Texas. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
as I tend to do. Let's get back to Ether B Day and the importance of July in his life. He abdicated on March the 19th, 1823, and sailed to Europe. He returned to Mexico, probably unaware that there was a decree of death against him, in July of 1824. He was captured and shot on July 19th, 1824, in Padilla, Tamaulipas. Now, he's a controversial figure, respected and despised. He's the George Washington of Mexico who took the crown rather than rejecting it. Now, all of this stuff I've just covered, I'm overlooking a lot of details and complexity that I wanted to try to just broad brush through to get to the summary of it here. And I'm looking forward to covering in detail and learning more about him and all of the events during this time that was such an exciting period in the history of Mexico and in Texas. So now, there are some other interesting July events that I'll touch on briefly. Following the Texas Revolt of 1836, Texas entered its time as a republic, and there were some really rough years, despite what some people claim the Republic of Texas struggled for the years it existed as a republic. Mexico never acknowledged Texas independence, and they disregarded the treaty signed at Velasco. And there were subsequently frequent conflicts over the years. On July 7th, 1842, Texas troops defeated one of these conflicts, these invasions led by Antonio Canales Brazio at the Battle of Lipantitlan, which had also been a site of a battle. Now, Texas had nothing to do with the July 4th of 1776 and the Declaration of Independence from England. It was part of New Spain, after all. The East Coast English colonies' War of Rebellion would be helped by Spain, though, and it even included aid from Texas. But there is a special July 4th in Texas history, July the 4th, 1845, the day convention met in Austin to consider the joint resolution of the United States Congress proposing the annexation of the Republic of Texas to the United States. The delegates approved the offer by a vote of 55 to 1. Yes, there was one lone dissenter. Now, who was the curmudgeon that ruined a unanimous vote in favor of annexation. I mean, after all, we've always heard that everybody wanted to be part of the United States. Well, there is one fellow in particular that didn't. The honor goes to one of the residents of Michelle Ari's once upon a time pirate base of Galveston by the name of Richard Bach. I'm sorry, I meant this to be brief, but this is too cool to pass by. History and all the little connecting strings that tie everything together can be really fun, and I can't let this pass. Now, Richard Bach was born in Philadelphia in 1784. His grandfather was... Can you guess who his grandfather was? You'll never get it. Come on. Okay, you give up. His grandfather, and this blew my mind when I discovered this, was the legendary Benjamin Franklin. The Ben Franklin. Bach did have a relationship with his Grandfather knew him quite well from what I understand. Grew up, and in 1805, he married a young lady by the name of Sophia Burrell Dallas, the daughter of Alexander Dallas, the United States Secretary of Treasury under James Madison, who also served 
as Secretary of War for the United States under the President Madison also. Her brother, George M. Dallas, was mayor of Philadelphia from 1828 to 1829, and he went on to be the 11th vice president of the United States under President James Knox Polk. Remember the years this might have occurred? Correct. George M. Dallas was vice president from March the 4th, 1845 to March 4th, 1849, the same 1845 that his brother-in-law, Richard Bach of Galveston, Texas, voted against approving the offer of annexation to the country that his grandfather Ben and his father-in-law and brother-in-law had helped shape in the early years. I could follow these strings a lot farther, and it really does show an interesting way so many people were involved with each other. It was really a small population back then. But I digress, as I always do. I'm not going to go much farther, but... I will say that the city of Dallas and the county of Dallas are named in honor of Bach's brother-in-law, George Dallas, the vice president, when Texas became a state. Are there any Bach counties or Bach cities in Texas? Not that I've been able to find. So why did Bach come to Texas in the first place? As is often the case, it's uncertain. But as one report stated, and I'll quote, in 1832, Bach fled to Texas, like lots of people did, back then, under a cloud of suspicion, leaving his family behind. Their reasons were never clear. Some biographers suggest that he fled his debt collectors, while others whisper of charges of embezzlement at his time at the Philadelphia Post Office when he was served his tenure as postmaster. However, there were no charges of illegal activity ever filed. And why did he vote against annexation? Again, unclear, but it seems to maybe have something to do with some familial jealousy. Bach's family had apparently had a falling out with old Ben Franklin at some time, and according to the same report I was looking at, Bach did have some resentment towards annexation because his brother-in-law was the vice president. I'll definitely be pursuing this thread for a lot more answers later on, but as I said, I digress a lot. Despite Bach's choice to vote against annexation, Texas did, of course, go on to become a state in the United States, which led to the Mexican-American War, and which also led to putting another stick onto the fire that would eventually burn until it exploded into the Civil War in 1861. But that's leading us a lot farther than we need to go, so let's wrap this up. July 21st, 1851. That's the day that the notorious outlaw Sam Bass died near Round Rock in 1878. I need to do an episode on him. I grew up hearing legends that there might be buried treasure of his in the area I was living. Folk hero Juan Nepo Musino, Cortina, shot Brownsville City Marshal Robert Shears for violently abusing someone he knew on July 13, 1859. This set off the first Cortina War. Yes, I could do like two or three episodes on this subject. Now let's close with another July 4th event. On July 4th, 1910, Galveston native, see there goes Galveston again popping up, Galveston native Jack Johnson became the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world when he defeated Jim Jeffries in Reno, Nevada. Now this also deserves a full episode. It's frustrating. I'd love to get to a lot of this stuff. But as I said... 10 to 12 hours a day on a tractor cutting hay 
doesn't lend that well to writing and recording podcasts, but I persevere and I'm sticking with it because I love it. I love learning and I love sharing this with y'all. And I really appreciate the fact that y'all have stuck with it and have been sharing the show with others. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to Ron, Jay, Kay, Brenda, Tim, Josh, and Johnny for their support on Patreon. It means a lot to me because the truth is I don't get a lot back on Patreon that's special, but it's nice to have some people supporting and believing in the show to help me out with books and other resources that I need to prepare for this. And don't forget to listen to THL Spotlight Artist Mondo Salas wherever you enjoy music. Heck, go buy his music. Give him a little bit extra cash in his pocket. And I'm looking forward to sharing news about a new album from Mondo and his band Rosemond in the near future. So go check out his website at rosemond.com and follow him on Twitter and elsewhere for show announcements. And recently I put out a request for music suggestions on Twitter and Mondo followed through with some great suggestions. So definitely check out artist Mason and the Gen Line. Definitely check out South Texas Tweak. Go listen to Seth Jones and every album he's put out. Go listen to Prick in the Sunset. Didn't find a lot of music by them, but I've loved everything they did. And yeah, they're not from Texas, but they're close enough. And it's just good music. And if Mondo loves it and suggests it, I suggest it and love it too. Definitely check it out. And last but not least, check out Zach Russell. Some of his music just floored me. Couldn't believe it. I'm always open to suggestions on music. And these were great. Really, Mando really did not let me down on this. They're all great. And he's great. And to help you on your little musical journey and maybe checking these people out, I made a little sampler playlist on Spotify with some awesome songs by Mondo and all of them. It's just a little taste. If you enjoy them, go find out more of their music and listen to it. And there's going to be a link to that in the show notes. Now, two little things before we close. Now, if you've been listening, you've been hearing me talk about the episodes that are coming up, the new lessons, part two of Texas history lessons on New Spain and Texas' role in the development of Mexico and its own development. And I have been working. I've been reading and digging a lot, getting lots of piles of notes so much that I'm so excited to share it. But as I mentioned, and this isn't a complaint, this is just life. I'm not going to be able to do justice to it because when I finally do sit down and record these episodes, I want it to be not rushed. and I want it to be perfect, as perfect as I can get it. That being said, there is going to be delay on releasing the new lessons. And it kills me to do that, but I'm, I'm not going to put out anything below a certain level of quality that I feel the subject matter deserves. So forgive me, and please thank you if you can just be a little bit more patient to getting to the history of New Spain. But I'm not, not going to be putting out episodes. I have been holding back some projects I've worked on over the years. And one in particular that I'm going to be releasing... I'm going to start recording. It's about 60 pages and it's going to be released in a number of episodes, depending on the different sections of the project. And it's entitled the cattle drives, the birth and death of an industry, 1865 to 1890. This is something I worked on quite a while back and it lends itself really well to 
Texas history lessons. So I'm going to be sitting down and just going through and recording different sections of it and releasing them while I'm actively writing down and compiling my notes and getting my thoughts together for the history of New Spain and Texas. So thank you for putting up with the delay. And I think you're really going to enjoy it because it's fun for me to go back and look at some of the work I've done previously. I have a couple of other projects that can be used next year. I hit a little hard spot in not having time that I can sit down and share. One of them is on the Trinity River and its role in the development of Texas and the role that people have played in developing the water resources and flood control aspects and the many, many years people tried to get navigation all the way up to Dallas and Fort Worth. As recently as the 1970s, it was an active effort to make the Trinity River a navigable river for carrying freight for business and stimulating economic growth. But again, I digress. Thanks again to everybody listening. And now it is my honor to close the show out by releasing an unheard song, unreleased song by Mondo Salas and his band Rosemond. The song is Old Dogs. I'm honored that he would let me share this. So give it a listen, pay attention, and soon we'll have an album. I got a feeling little little bird told me we might be getting a new release soon. Go check out all the people that he recommended. Take care of yourselves. Be good to one another. Be kind. And until next time, this has been Texas History Lessons. Thanks for listening again. Adios. Water in the rivers were to dry. Would you take me to worthy The angels hardly made it into heaven. Would you sing me a lullaby? to run on the road or come from a car. Never been nobody, and we keep trying to live, but all we find is hard times and old dogs. The day these old dogs quit, Sometimes I've been bearing the miles without giving in. For you, I'll go until my end. 
from my stay in hopes I don't feel. 